Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. The lady behind the curtain is talking to me now. It's going to be one of those Sundays. Hey, uh... So I, I had Ty read out of Philippians chapter 2 because we're in the series on uh, pain management, as I called it. Uh, basically, this whole idea came from I got asked to do uh, baccalaureate, which I did last uh, Sunday night. Uh, it, was, it was great here at Fargo. I was super excited they invited me to do it. Uh, but I started, it got me thinking about the advice that I would give uh, to my siblings. And, and, you know, I'm preparing for fatherhood. And so I started thinking way ahead. Uh, But some of you, our parents tell me it's not really that far ahead. Time flies. But I was thinking about my own daughter's graduation and and thinking, you know, what would what advice would I give or what what would be there for the good life? And what I came up with was really this idea that really the successful people in life, however you define success. I personally would define success as living a godly life, as living as Christ would live if he were me, of maximizing what Jesus has given me for his kingdom. He's given you probably more gifting than he gave me. Or some of you might say, well, I have left gifting than Blake. But that doesn't matter because we're not supposed to compare ourselves to each other. We compare ourselves to what God has given us. And so I view the successful life as doing the most with what God has given me for his kingdom's sake. But you can define success however you want. And I still think this holds true, that the key to a successful life is pain management. Those who do the best in life are not those who avoid pain, but those who embrace pain. Those who have the right mindset when pain happens to them. And I said there's two types of pain. And last week we talked about the not fun type. Well, neither type is fun. But the really not fun type of pain, which is the pain that chooses you. You There's some things in life that just happen. You get a bad diagnosis. You lose somebody that you love. Something unexpected happens. That's pain that chooses you. And we said you can't do anything about it. That pain is coming your way. It is coming. You're either in suffering or you will be in suffering. That's just the truth of what life is. But what you can do is change your mindset as you go into that suffering. You get to choose how you view that suffering. And we looked at James, the half-brother of Jesus, and he said that as Christians, we ought to count it as joy because it is an opportunity for us to become mature believers in Christ when we face that kind of pain. But this week, I want to talk about the other kind of pain. And this is the kind of pain uh, that you choose that life is painful enough on its own, but we, and if you're an adult, you know this to be true, we often do things that cause more pain for us unnecessarily. Now, pain is a part of the Christian theology. We believe that pain is, is a part. We're not a faith that says, if you believe in Jesus, you know, it's rainbows and fairy tales for the rest of your life. No. What do we read in Philippians chapter 2? The way to resurrection was through the cross. That there is suffering. Jesus says, bear your cross. Count the cost when you follow me. In fact, sometimes when you follow Jesus, you'll encounter more pain. I love what Doug Wilson says. He says, for the Christian, we must always keep in mind that every blessing we receive comes from a pierced hand. And that is very true. But this can be taken the wrong way. And we can begin to think that as Christians, we're to seek out pain. (laughs) You know, in, in the medieval times, there was literally the monks would take these whips and they would beat themselves because they thought that they were supposed to cause pain for themselves. Like somehow that made them more spiritual. In Jesus' time, the Pharisees fasted completely no food two times a week. Because they thought the pain made them more spiritual. And Jesus comes and he says, no, we don't seek out pain. You shouldn't. We're not people who love pain. But when pain comes, we we use it for our benefit. That we have a God who specializes in taking what is evil and turning it into what is good for us. It's exactly what he did on the cross. So we shouldn't be people who pursue pain. 
And if you have your Bibles, we're actually not going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs chapter 26. I have no idea what page it is in your Bible, but uh, in the Pew Bibles. If you open to the middle, you'll be really close. It's one book after Psalms. Proverbs chapter 26. And we're going to look at three types of things you can do or three people you can be that will make your life more painful. So if you're here today and you want to make your life worse than what it ought to be, then you need to listen to these three things and do them. And uh, what I will say is that we all have done these things and we probably all are doing these things. And here's my goal for you, that you would choose one of these things and you would begin to change it. You would repent of it. You would change your ways as you go throughout this week. And you might listen to all three of these and go, well, I do all of those things. And I would say, that's okay. Let's just pick one. Uh, Usually when I preach, I do it like shotgun style. I'm trying to get one point across. Uh, But sometimes I do a machine gun where I'm just like putting points out there and hoping something sticks to one of you guys. So when I, isn't that an image? When, When I say the thing that points out to you, I want you to take that and you can not listen to the rest of my sermon. So if it's point one and you're like, oh, that's me. Great. You don't have to listen to the rest of the things I say. If you have to wait till point three, I'm sorry. Maybe God's trying to teach you something. But Proverbs chapter 26 is what we would call wisdom literature, which some people love and some people hate. It's just the way things are. They're not even necessarily Christian things. They're just thing things. Just as God set up the physical laws, he set up the laws of the world when it comes to wisdom. So if you are an atheist or a Christian and you jump off the building, gravity will affect you the exact same. You are going down because that's the way God created the world. Well, it is also true here that if you do these three things, I don't care what your faith is, what you believe about Jesus. These things are going to lead to death in your life. Now, for the Christian, we have something that stands out to us. and We'll look at that at the end of this sermon. But for all of us, these things are all true. That's what wisdom literature is. Now, I want to jump in Proverbs chapter 26. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. And it's really interesting what the writer of the Proverbs is doing here because he he does like a bait and switch. He changes it up on us. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 1. It says, like snow in summer and rain at harvest, honor is appropriate for a fool. In other words, it doesn't fit. You don't give a fool honor. Verse 2. Like a flitting sparrow or a fluttering swallow, an undeserved curse goes nowhere. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Don't answer a fool according to his foolishness, or you'll be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his foolishness, or he'll become wise in his own eyes. Which verses 4 and 5 are why I love the Proverbs. Did you notice what the writer did? He gave us conflicting advice. In verse 3, he says, don't answer a fool according to his foolishness. And then in the very next verse, he says, answer a fool according to his foolishness. To which I'm like, well, which is it? You know, do I, do I answer him according to his foolishness or do I not? And this is what wisdom literature is all about. And this is why some of us hate it. We all know that sometimes wisdom is different in different situations. There's not a checklist I can give you to have the perfect life. You know, if you say, Blake, am I supposed to go to rated R movies or not go to rated R movies? Is it a sin to go to the bar or is it a sin to not go to the bar? Part of the gospel is understanding that I can't answer that question for you. That for one person, it might be a sin to go to the bar. And the very person he's going to the bar with would, would not be a sin if he would be a sin if he didn't go. It, it all depends upon the, the situation. This is what wisdom is. And this is why God gives us the Holy Spirit. This is why we have that spirit within us to guide and to correct us as we go through life. Now, verse five, uh, verse six, rather, says the one who sends a message by a fool's hand cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. <laughs> In other words, if you, if you send a fool on a mission... 
You might as well just uh, consider that mission a failure because it's not going to make it. If I send you with, with a, a message I need to get to somebody and I give it to a fool, I, I might as well consider that message not making it. Which, by the way, we probably all have uh, understood. If you've ever done anything with the government, you know how that works, right? You know, I sent you my money. Well, we didn't receive it. Well, that's because you got fools working there. I mean, it's just the way it is. Verse 7. A proverb in the mouth of a fool is like lame legs that hang limp. Giving honor to a fool is like binding a stone in a sling. A proverb in the mouth of a fool is like a stick with thorns, brandished the hand of a drunkard, brandished by the hand of a drunkard. Verse 10. The one who hires a fool or who hires those passing by is like an archer who wounds everyone. As a dog returns to its vomit, so also a fool repeats his foolishness. Do you see a person who is wise in his own eyes? Now look, he switches it up on us here. This is interesting. Verses 1 through 11, who's he being harsh towards? The fool. I mean, if you're a fool here today, you feel really offended at the things that I'm saying, don't you? I mean, the writer of the Proverbs is going ham on you guys. He's going bad on He's saying, fools ruin everything. And he changes it and he says, now let's talk about the arrogant person. The one who's always right in his own eyes. And look what he says about him. It says, do you see a person who's wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. See, what he's saying here is that that foolish person that we all understand and we've all seen and we all say, look how bad they are. What what the proverb writer wants us to realize is even worse than that is being somebody who thinks you know everything. Being the person who has it all figured out on your own, who always sees yourself as wise. In fact, this is the original sin in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. It's not about two naked people eating an apple and now we have all these bad things going on. No, Genesis 3 is all about two people who decided they knew better than God, and so they ate from a a tree that God said don't eat from. Not because God didn't love them, but because God did love them. And they said, no, we know what is best for us, and we will reach out, and we will decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. Well, friends, I don't know, look around the world, and you tell me how good us humans are at deciding what is right and what is wrong. We often have no idea what is right and what is wrong, and when we do make a decision on it, we're usually wrong about it. It leads to destruction in our lives. And the root of all three of these things, the root of all the pain that we cause ourselves is when we don't submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, but we on our own decide what is best for ourselves. Yeah, I know what God says about marriage, but but look at what I know. My situation is unique. I can do what I want to do, and I think it'll work out great. And the Bible would say 10 out of 10 times, if you go against the wisdom of God, if you do what is wise in your own eyes, it will not end in life. It will end in death because God is life. And so every choice we make that is in accordance with his will does lead to life. And every choice we make that does not will lead us ultimately to death. Now, you see, this is kind of an intense message, but don't kill the messenger on this one. And by the way, if you think that I'm preaching up here like I've got all these figured out, I need you to know that as I prepared this message this week, I was the guy who said I'm doing all three of these things. I am all three of these types of people. But as I stand up here and preach, I must preach what the writer of the Proverbs says. And I preach it because I love you guys. Because these are true. And here's what I know. Some of you are wise in your own eyes and you won't listen to what I say anyways. It won't matter to you. And you will continue to do what you want to do. And here's what I'll tell you. The worst thing that can happen to you is that you get what you want because you'll find out that that thing that you thought you were getting actually has gotten you. If you pursue money, money will be your master. If you pursue sexuality, sexuality will be your master and so on and so forth. And they always, 100% of the time, lead you to a place that is not life, but a place that is death. So if you're taking notes, here are the three types of people that we're going to look at together. Uh, We're going to look at the slacker, the meddler, and the gossip. 
the slacker, the meddler, and the gossip. I like that word meddler. It just, I mean, it just sounds bad, doesn't it? You're a meddler. I don't know. That was funnier in my head than you guys responded, but this is, it happens to me all the time. I mean, I just laugh at the Bible all the time. I love that word meddler. Okay, let me preach. Uh, let me pray and then preach. Father God, I can preach this message all by myself, uh, but I am, I'm way better when you help me. And uh, so, Lord, I just pray that you would. I pray that you would speak to people today where they are. Uh, Lord, I know that some people in here, uh, God, this message will be, will be very convicting for them. And I know that whenever we find a convicting message, when we see a convicting message in your word, we have two options. We can rebel further or we can repent. We can turn and we can change our ways. And Lord, I pray that as I preach today, that the message would be one of love and that they would see that the repentance is for their own good and that the rebellion will only cause more harm. Jesus, it is in your name that I pray. Amen. The guy who's wise in his own eyes is often a slacker. That's what we see in verses 13 through 16. We see the slacker always has excuses. He's predictably a slacker. And the slacking usually gets worse. Verse 13. The slacker says, there's a lion in the road. A lion in the public square. Yeah. We, we are very good at making excuses when we don't want to do something, aren't we? Have you met somebody like this who's always got an excuse for why they can't do what they ought to do? This is in all areas of life. It could be your physical health. Uh, it could be your financial health. It could be your spiritual health. You know, I can't do this because of X. And we have these people, and we might be these people, who often make excuses justifying why we continue to do what we do. I thought of some of my favorite excuses. Number one, I've often said that I'm too old to do some of these things, or I'm too young to do some of these things. Number three is my personality. Uh, this is a big one. Uh, I don't know uh, about you, but I, I think it's true that for most of us, we either fall into like this ambitious type of personality, you know, these type A people who are really driven, they're always happy, and they're always going. And then there's the rest of us who kind of, you know, we, we have to kind of be driven a little bit. We have to be pulled. And uh, this is especially true for me in the morning. I feel like I'm a pretty driven person, but in the morning I'm not driven at all unless it's driven by caffeine. Uh, and that might be true for some of you as well. Uh, but I can often use my personality as an excuse. And uh, my brother Rick Hay, who's back there, he's definitely this type of person. He's moving around the whole time I'm preaching, doing stuff. Uh, and I'm in group with Rick uh, in the mornings a couple times a week. And Rick is one of those morning people. How many of you guys are morning people? Yeah, we all hate you. Uh, morning people are the worst. Uh, and, and Rick's one of these morning people, and we got a group at like 6 in the morning, and Rick always comes in the room at 5.30 in the morning, pops open the door to the office, and he's singing. Now, Rick, you have many gifts. Singing is not one of them. And when Rick comes in singing, I honestly want to punch him in the face sometimes. And, and, and his wife says he's with me. See, this is, I got a witness. Thank you, Christy. And he comes in, and he's singing this song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Now, it's a fine song. It's a fi- it really is. But Rick only knows that line of the song. He knows no other lines. So he just keeps repeating at the top of his terrible voice. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And my personal feelings is the Holy Spirit is nowhere before the sun comes up. You know, like until I've had a half a pot of coffee and I start to see the sun rising, I don't feel the Holy Spirit. And yet Rick does. Some of you guys are like that. You know, you have this natural personality. I don't have that natural personality in the morning. Maybe that's you. You, know, you say, I can't do what all those people do. And this is your excuse for slacking, for not doing what you know you ought to do. And we all know what we ought to do. There's not a one of us in this room who has something that we ought to do that we are putting off. We all procrastinate. Some of us worse than others and some of us in bigger issues than others. But one of the excuses we can use is our personality. Number six is... 
Sometimes I always like to say that I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I've got time for that later. I'll clean that room up later. That's what happened here. I told you before the service that I cleaned up our organization room. I just blinded my eyes to the disorganization of that room for a long time. I can do it later. I can do it later. I can do it later. But how many of you know with a lot of those things that are important, but they're never urgent, we never actually get to them. So later means never. In fact, James calls us arrogant in the New Testament. He says, you are a fool. The person who says... Tomorrow I will do this or that thing. He says instead what you ought to say is if God wills, I will do this thing or that thing. You have no idea what the next five minutes hold. You could die of a heart attack sitting right here in front of all of us. You have no idea what your future holds. So when we say later, we are being arrogant fools. And it's another excuse for slacking. Because the things that we don't do will always get worse. I need you to understand this. When you put something off, when you ignore something, it doesn't go away. If you ignore your marital problems and you do nothing about it, your marriage will not magically get better. If you ignore your financial problems, you will not magically have more money in the bank. I had a a friend who, uh, he said, I I don't look at my bank account. And I said, why don't you look at my bank account? He said, because if I look at my bank account, then I'll know that I don't have money. (laughs) You still don't have money whether you look at it or not. You know, but I get on to him and there's other areas of my life where I do the exact same thing. You know, I'm not getting on the weight scale. You know, when these buttons start popping a little bit, it's like, oh boy, uh, maybe I need to go back to the gym. But I don't want to get on the scale. Well, it doesn't matter if I get on the scale or not. It doesn't matter if I know what I weigh. I'm still overweight. I'm still out of shape. You can't ignore it. And when you ignore it, all you're doing is you're kicking the can down the road and it's only going to get worse. Problems start like snowballs, but if we're not careful, those snowballs can turn into avalanches if we don't do something about them while we have the opportunity to do them. But the slacker will always find an excuse. I always think it's funny when I talk about money uh, to people in the church. And uh, I, when I say I think it's funny, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I understand it as well. Uh, I've been through these things, but sometimes people will say things like, uh, you know, I, I don't have enough money to give to the church or I don't have enough money to give towards whatever God's calling me to give to it might not even be the church. And, and I just want to say, really, you don't have enough money because the average American spends two hundred and seventy three dollars a month on streaming services. I mean, my own family, we're ridiculous. I don't even know. We have Netflix, Hulu, YouTube TV. I think like half the passwords are stolen, but still. <laughs> we have a lot of streaming services. Why do we have all of these things? And you say, oh, I spend money on that, but I, you know, I, I couldn't give 50 bucks a month to the church, or I, I couldn't give $60 to the homeless person down the road. You know, I just, I couldn't do that. I'm like, no, it's not that you couldn't do it. It's that you won't do it. Well, what if I had to give up my Netflix and my Hulu and my YouTube TV? What would I do if I couldn't watch all that stuff? So, I don't know. Maybe read a book, you know? The Bible's a pretty good book. Maybe you pick up those things. But the point is, is that we always have an excuse to slack if we want to find it. And we can usually do the things that we're called to do if we will just do them. So the first person is a slacker. And maybe that's you today. They're full of excuses. They're predictable. I love what he says. Verse 14 says a door turns on its hinges and a slacker on his bed. So just as sure as a door will open, you can expect a slacker to be in his bed. We probably all met these people who are over, overly lazy. You can't count them on anything. And they're, just, they're lazy in every area of their life. A lazy person tends to be lazy, and a motivated person tends to be motivated in all areas of life. Verse 15, it says, The slacker buries his hand in the bowl, and he is too weary to bring it to his mouth. And he puts his hand in the Cheetos, and he can't even get the Cheeto up to his mouth. And this is true with slacking. When you slack, you tend to become more of a slacker. 
so one of the things that I hear often is uh, this idea of mental health being used as an excuse for slacking. And I believe that mental health issues exist. Depression is a real thing. ADHD is a real thing. You just watch me preach three times and you believe that ADHD is a real thing. But as I said last week, we cannot use these things as excuses. And here's what I know also. Clinical psychologists will tell you that there are multiple ways of fixing these elements. You need to go see a doctor. You need to get on medicine if that's what, God, if, what the doctors told you to do. You can trust the doctor in those things. But there's also this thing called lifestyle changes. And what I find is that people who use their depression as an excuse to stay inside all day end up more depressed. People who use their ADHD as an excuse to, to uh, give in to their compulsive desires tend to be worse off than those who do not use it as an excuse but get up and move forward in life. You know, I, I like to read old biographies. I'm reading a biography of our 18th president, Ulysses S. Grant, fought the Civil War. And I just think, what would happen if, if the men who fought in the Civil War were to see some of the men today? Some of the excuses that we make up for ourselves? Or... or Probably even more so the ladies of that time. You, know, you tell a lady with 13 children, she's baking all the food, making all the clothes, and you come in there and, and she's having a bad day. She doesn't get to have a mental health day. She has to go to work. She has to get up and move. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant, he didn't even see his child for the first four years of his child's life. You know why? Because he was fighting a war. And I can't go to work because I have the sniffles. Really? How far have we fallen? You know, and I'm not saying that these things aren't without reason, because they are. I know some of you guys struggle, and I, I'm, not, I'm walking a fine line here. My, my hope is that those of you who need to be comforted would be comforted, but some of you need to be afflicted. You need to be moved to realize that life is supposed to be hard. And you say, well, Blake, look, we've come so far from those times. And I want to say, really, have we? Have we really? Because it seems like everything's gotten worse. We're the richest country, and yet we have the most people on depression pills out of anybody else. This month, I read a, a, an article where the United States broke two records. They're not the records you want to break. We broke the record of overdoses in a month, and we broke the record of gambling amount in a month. It's like, what is going on here? Are we really that much better off? And I don't think that we are. And here's why. Here's, here's if you're taking notes, this is probably the main point of the slacker part. I want you to understand this, that the things that give you the most comfort now are usually the things that will cause you the most pain later. The things that you go to right now that give you the most comfort generally are the things that will destroy your life. They'll cause you the most pain later. I've seen it over and over and over again and I'm experiencing it in my own life. What is the thing you go to when life's too stressful? We all have that thing. I don't know what your thing is. You probably hide it from everybody else because that's what we tend to do with these things. Some of us, we, we go to drugs. Some of us, maybe it's alcohol. Others, it's pornography. Other people, it's uh, binging on Netflix. Other people, it might be binging on shopping. Other people, it might be binging on food. I don't know what your thing is, but I know you have a thing. I have a thing. We all have a thing. What are we tempted to go to for comfort when life is too much? And here's what I know about that thing. That thing will end up destroying your life. It is far better to choose a little bit of pain now so that you can have comfort later than to choose comfort now and cause yourself massive pain later on in your life. Here's what I know about all those people who overdosed. A lot of them were actually prescribed medicine by a doctor, which is a terrible thing that's going on. But they were prescribed medicine because they had a surgery. They had back pain. They had uh, you know, knee surgery. They had something going on, and the doctor gave them medicine for their pain. And what they didn't know at the time was that within two doses, they'd be hooked on this thing. And these people who otherwise had a good life would have their life destroyed by this addiction. And here's what I can guarantee you. If we could go to that person when they were in the throes of their addiction, when their addiction had taken over their life, if you were to ask them, if you could go back in time 
And the doctor would prescribe you something that was less powerful. It didn't give you as much comfort, but it wouldn't ruin your life. Would you take that? Ten out of ten times, you know what they would say? I would take a little back pain over what this has done to my life. The people who struggle with gambling, a lot of them, begin gambling because their life is painful. Their life is not good. And they go to a place where they can win, where a machine lights up and tells them how great that they are. And the worse life gets, the more that they want to experience that. And they keep going back to this thing and back to this thing that caused them comfort. But then you ask them when they're out of money and their family is gone, is this thing causing you comfort anymore? They'll say, no, it's causing me a whirlwind of pain. But it's to the point now where I can't stop it. And look, some of you in this room today need to stop before the thing destroys you because it will destroy you. Heard a story about a guy in Gage. Uh, A lot of stuff happens in Gage. Uh, pray for those folks. Um, and uh, that was a joke. I love Gage is good. Uh, but there, there are people that I heard the story about a guy. I don't know if it's true. It rings true to me because I've met some people. Uh, they said that he got a mountain lion cub and he was raising a mountain lion cub in his basement. Now, that's just stupid on a lot of different levels. Can we all agree on that? Like this mountain lion cub is really cute and fluffed. I'm sure it was awesome. And it is cute until the day it eats your head off. Friends, this is what a lot of our kind of comfort things are. You know, Amazon and my shopping addiction, uh, you know, we kind of laugh about it. We call everything an addiction now. But, you know, I, I go to shopping when I need comfort and I don't have control of my finances or whatever it is that you go to comfort for. We can often think it's not that big of a deal. You know, at least I'm not doing this thing. We compare it to this other thing. But what I need you to understand is this just, it's just a cute little mountain lion right now. But before you know it, that thing can grow up and eat your head off. And there will come a day in which you cannot contain it. There will come a day in which you cannot control it. And you'll find yourself contained and controlled by that thing rather than you containing and controlling it yourself. And I'm being really serious right now because this is so important. And I've seen lives ruined and destroyed by people who don't take what I'm saying right now to be serious. And you can be wise in your own eyes or you can repent and you can confess it to somebody. And we can begin to get you the help with wherever you need the help. And that's what I would tell you to do. And you say, well, I'll confess it to God. You could confess it to God and you ought to confess it to God. God gives us forgiveness. But James says the way that healing happens is through confessing it to other people. So today, do not leave this place. If you have one of these little mountain lions that is growing and you're feeling a little bit out of control with whatever it is, do not leave this place without telling me or telling somebody that you trust so that we can get you the help that you need. That's number one. That's the slacker. Now my favorite word. Number two, the meddler. Now, if you're a slacker and you're like, I've been slacking. You can go to sleep now. You can slack off uh, because I found your point. The number two, some of you, you're, you're meddlers and you ought not be a meddler. Look at what it says. Uh, verse 17, a person who is passing by and meddles in a quarrel that's not his is like one who grabs a dog by the ears, like a madman who throws flaming darts and deadly arrows. So is the person who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. He says, if you get in a quarrel that is not your own, it's like grabbing a dog by the ears and expecting not to be bit. We love to meddle, don't we? Some of us, we love it. I love it. I mean, it's fun. I like making people mad for the fun of it sometimes. You know, I I see it. This is why I'm not on social media, because I know I'd be in every argument. I argue about things I don't even care about, you know? Like, I I just like to take the, the view of somebody else sometimes just to get them fired up. I know that about myself. I'm a meddler. But here's what I know. When I meddle with things, all I am doing is making things worse for myself. You you start a fight, you better be ready to finish the fight. And and truly, I bring up social media because I think social media has made this a lot worse. 
uh, for all of us. And I don't know if my ears grew this week or what, but this thing will not stay on my ears. Wow, there you guys are. Okay. Uh, the, the meddler is, is the guy who's always involved in these things. And social media causes us to be meddlers, I think, because we're all supposed to have an opinion on everything. You notice that when something big happens in the country, I'm supposed to know what I know about what I believe about critical race theory. I don't know anything about critical race theory, but I'm supposed to post a post or share a post about something with the side that I agree on. You know, I, I don't know anything about half of the things going on in Ukraine and Russia, but I'm supposed to have this opinion on the war. Sometimes you don't have to say anything at all, friends. Sometimes you don't have to meddle with what is going on in the world. Now, that's social media, but probably uh, more so for all of us is in real life. I've had friendships ruined because I got in between a fight of two friends and I shouldn't have been in it, but I thought I could fix the fight. And before long, I find myself in the middle of this fight and guess what happens? I lose two friends because I, I can't play on both sides. I get involved in a fight that is not my own. Jesus gives us a great example of this in the Gospels. Uh, these guys come up to him, these brothers, and they're having a dispute. And they say, look, this is Jesus. He's the Messiah. He'll tell us whether or not one of us is right or wrong. And they come up to Jesus and Jesus says, who am I to judge? You know, I'm not, I'm not the, the arbiter of your disputes. And he walks away from these guys. This is what we ought to do, friends. When somebody comes and they try to pull us into a fight that is not our own fight, don't let them do it to you. You don't have to be involved in a fight that is not your fight. You know, if your friends are fighting, that's not your place to be involved. You've got enough fights on your own if you're anything like me. I've got enough problems of my own to worry about your problems. So when I begin to meddle, what am I doing? Well, I'm like shooting flaming darts around the place, hurting myself and hurting other people, the writer of the Proverbs would say. So that's the meddler. Number two, or number three, rather, is the gossip. Verse 20, without wood, fire goes out. Without gossip, conflict dies down. Got a lot of conflict in your life? You might ask yourself, do I have a lot of gossip in my life? Because gossip is, the the proverb writer would say here, is the, the wood that keeps the fire going. Something to think about. Verse 21. As charcoal for embers and wood for fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. A gossip's words are like choice food that goes down to one's innermost being. I love that image because I think it's so good. It's like, it's like a, he said it's like choice food. Doesn't listening to gossip sometimes feel good or is that just me? Sometimes you just, you want to know what's going on in somebody else's life. I don't know if it's, I think this is like what reality TV is all about. You know, we, 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 want, to, we want to feel better about our messed up life, so we look at other people's messed up life. I want a little juicy gossip. Can you give me some gossip? But that gossip is like cotton candy. It rots our insides. It rots our teeth. This is exactly what the writer of the Proverbs is saying. And if you're wondering what is gossip, because it can get a little bit blurry, here's the definition of gossip that I like the best. Gossip is when you are talking about a person or a situation and you have no control to fix it. So in the work scenario, I think it plays out probably the best. When you are two co-workers and you are talking about what another co-worker is doing, you are gossiping because you have no power to fix it. You guys are talking about here's what such and such did. They're always late. They're always this. You're going on and on about the other co-worker. You have no power to fix it. Now, if you go to your boss and you share these things about the coworker, you're not gossiping because your boss has the power to fix the problem. If you are siblings and you are talking about another sibling, you are gossiping. If you go to your parent and you tell your parent what happened, you are not gossiping because you're talking to somebody who can fix it. This is a really important distinction because a lot of abuse happens, especially in spiritual things, when we feel like we're not allowed to tell somebody something because then we can say it's gossip and we're not allowed to tell you. And so then abuse goes on unknown in the name of God, and that's terrible. No, if something is going on that is wrong and you come and you talk to your pastor, you talk to a policeman, you talk to somebody who can fix it, you're not gossiping. If you're talking to somebody who can't fix it, all that that is is gossip. 
I don't have to talk much about gossip because we all know when we're gossiping. And uh, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, if you gossip this week, if you talk to somebody about someone or something that you had no control to fix, every single one of us would raise our hands. And if you don't raise your hand, it's because you are a liar, which we're not going to get to today. <laughs> gossip is all around us. So we have the slacker, we have the meddler, we have the gossip. And as we end, verse 23 through 28, we're reminded that God will not be mocked. That is, the Apostle Paul says, you will reap what you sow. In our culture, we might call this karma. We might call it what goes around comes around. Or as Taylor Swift says, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Never thought I'd quote Taylor Swift from this pulpit. And I never will again. But this is what we see at the end. Verse 23 through 28. Smooth lips with an evil heart are like glaze on an earthen vessel. A hateful person disguises himself with speech and harbors deceit within. When he speaks graciously, don't believe him, for there are seven detestable things in his heart. <laughs> and he didn't tell us what the seven things are, which really frustrates me. Like, what are the seven detestable things? Doesn't say it. Uh, verse 26. Though his hatred is concealed by deception, his evil will be revealed in the assembly. In other words, you can hide what's going on for a long time. You, you guys don't have any idea what's going on in my heart. And it's actually more dangerous for me because I talk for a living. So I can, I can manipulate words and I can say things to sound a certain way, but you have no idea what I am. And those words that I use, the hiding that I do is like glaze on something nasty. It looks good, but it's not actually good. Jesus talks about this in the, in the New Testament. He says, you guys are whitewashed tombs. And you're, you're like a tomb that has been washed and it's really clean on the inside, on the outside rather, but on the inside, guess what? It's dead. There's death in you. But it says, verse 26, that it will be revealed. His evil will be revealed in the assembly. The one who digs a pit will fall into it. And whoever rolls a stone, it will come back on him. A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth causes ruin. Friends, do not, be mock, do not mock God. Do not believe that you could plant corn, and corn will not grow. What we plant in our lives, we will reap. And a lot of times, the things we blame on God are not God's fault at all. They're the choices that I made a long time ago that I'm now having to pay for. You know, we think of something like Hurricane Katrina. You know, a lot of people would say that. I remember after that, a lot of people saying, uh, you know, how could God allow this to happen? And what we know is that the city of New Orleans, when they were building their hurricane uh, blocker things, <laughs> that's not what they're called, but the, the water rail deals, you guys, you get what I'm saying. Uh, levees, thank you. Praise God for the woman behind the curtain. <laughs> As they were building their levees, they were recommended to build a levee for a once in 1,000 year storm. But the city officials said, nah, that costs too much money. We'll do a once in 100 year storm. Well, guess what Katrina was? It was a once in 1,000 year storm. Now, we can blame God for the destruction that it caused, or we can blame greedy politicians for building something that they were told not to build. Was it God's fault, or did somebody plant corn and then get mad when corn grew? Our culture has a terrible problem with this. We think we can plant whatever we want and get whatever we want on the other side of it. We live in a sexual revolution where everybody is supposed to be totally free with their sexuality and do whatever they want. And I find it so interesting that we also have this other movement going on called the Me Too movement. Where we're talking more about abuse than we've ever talked about abuse. Well, well friends, if we plant one thing, we ought to expect that thing to grow. And you cannot have total sexual freedom and not expect there to be sexual abuse. Yes, I know you think God's ways are archaic and old. But friends, they're that way on purpose because God knows 
Do not be wise in your own eyes. Be wise in the way he says to be wise. We live in a culture where we think we can have sexual activity at will and not have to deal with the fruit of an infant in our womb. Friends, what is this? It's us planting corn and expecting there not to be corn that grows. We live in a nation that mocks God constantly. And if we're not careful, we become people who mock God constantly. I did what I wanted with my finances, and then my finances all broke apart, and I'm mad at God that I don't have any money. No, you ought to be mad at yourself because you reaped what you sowed. If you are a slacker, you will reap what you sow. If you are a meddler, you will reap what you sow. And if you are a gossip, you will reap what you sow. This is not Pastor Blake being mean to you. This is Pastor Blake trying to say, I love you, and you're going to reap what you sow. If you put corn in the ground, I know this is amazing, corn will grow. So what are you going to put in the ground? And I would encourage you to choose pain now to do the things that lead to righteousness, to plant what Jesus would say in your life. It's why Psalm 1 says that the one who succeeds is the one who's planted next to living waters. Plant yourself in those things that Jesus says. Reject the idea that you ought to be wise in your own eyes and trust in him. And I'm going to pray for us. Band, if you guys want to go ahead and come up and close us. But before I pray for us, I do want to try to take some of the, the, the bricks that I put on you off. And I want to give you a little bit of gospel grace here today. Because I know you hear a message like this and you can begin to think, wow, you know, I'm, this is bad. <laughs> like, uh, like when I went into this room and I began to clean it out, I honestly, I just stood there for like five minutes looking at everything. Because it was so messed up, I didn't even know where to begin. Maybe that's some of you as you look at your life. It's so messed up and I don't even know where to begin. And I would encourage you with this word. The best time to start something is always yesterday. But the next best time to start something is today, is now. And you start by doing one thing at a time. And here's what I want you to know about our God. He is good and he specializes taking things that are evil and turning them into good. He specializes taking sinners like you and I, messed up people, and turning us into righteous followers of God. This is what the gospel is all about. That Jesus would die on a cross. And they would roll a stone in front of his tomb. And on that day, evil rejoiced as though it had won. But what do we know, friends, on the other side of the resurrection? That he did not stay in that tomb. But three days later, the stone was rolled away. And his body began to breathe again. And he rose from the dead. And the very thing that the world thought would kill him was the very thing that he used to have ultimate victory over our sin. Over the death, uh, rather to cause the death of death itself. And the power over sin and the devil himself were subdued on that day. And friends, today can be that kind of day for you. As you say, I have sinned and yet I do not rebel further. I repent. And I I will reap what I sow, but I will begin to sow new things. I'll begin to sow the things that God has called me to sow through Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, this is a tough message. Because it's convicting. And what I often want to do is, is take responsibility and give it to somebody else. I want to blame something or someone else for the reason why my life is the way it is. But God, there's no power in that. Jesus, you you came and you gave us grace, and our grace is opposed to earning. We earn no favor in your sight by what we do. But our grace is not opposed to effort. You've called us to follow you, to take the steps that we need to do to, to repent of being wise in our own eyes and to see what you say as the ultimate wisdom. Lord, I pray today that we would see you as the Lord, not just of our Sundays, but the Lord of all of our life, the Lord of our finances, the Lord of our relationships, the Lord of our health, the Lord of everything, Lord. And we would follow you in the way that you say to follow us. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. 
Friends, right now, take about 20 seconds and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? Father God, I pray that you'd give us the courage to obey what you've called us to do. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.